you have a Bible, we'll be looking at John chapter 4. We're reading through in our Bible reading, in the Anchored in the Word. You can pick up one of these, reading through in two years, and our messages, Pastor Rob and my messages, are coming from this portion of Scripture. And... uh, Only after a barbecue do I preface my message by all the burps that are going to happen in the next 30 minutes are great hot dogs and burgers. The men did a great job. They served us. Amen? Thanks, men. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll get you one. We've had people uh, get these Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, take it home. It's a gift for you. We've had people taking them home, reading them, getting saved, and coming back to church. So uh, what a blessing that is. Well, as um, Micah was saying, this weekend is such a celebration weekend for all that the Lord is doing. And we're going to have communion tonight. We've just broke bread with one another. We're going to baptize people. People are going to open their hearts for Jesus. We're going to share the word. What a blessing to be together in celebration of true liberty and independence from what we've been experiencing for this last year and having the litigation dropped. But we want to talk here in this moment as we are celebrating that. You want to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Calgary, Canada, in that district or that state up in Canada. They came out today saying they are going to implement with no warrants. They are going to bring out whatever force is needed to shut down the churches in Calgary, in that, in that district. And so uh, it's unbelievable. Those uh, I watched the interview with the Polish pastor we saw three or four weeks ago, the guy that said, get out of my church. And he said they're going to have to, his little church, they're going to have to do a flash mob in Walmart and have a church service there before they can catch them and then, you know, go over to Home Depot and do one over there and just, you know, in Jesus' name and out the door they go. So I'm looking forward to the footage of this, you guys. It's going to be very, very epic. But what courageous people. And unless we stand up here south of our northern neighbors, we will have the same thing. So that's what we've been seeking to do. But as we turn our hearts towards the word, hopefully you made it to John chapter 4. For our message, Secrets of the Heart. Have you ever felt like you came to church and Jesus was reading your mail? Just raise your hand. If that's ever happened to you, you came in and you were convinced that someone called Pastor Rob right? They called and said, (laughs) I had a guy charge me one time after service. He was a guy in his 50s, big, you know, kind of power lifter guy. And he was enraged. And as he was coming across the lobby at me, this is not the normal, you know, church. Well, it's normal here, but it was not normal where I am from. And that is, he was coming across and he was so angry at me. And he said, did my mother call you? (laughs) I said, Excuse me? He said, did my mother call you? Your message, that illustration was me. And I know that my mother has called you and told you all about me. And then she told me to come to church this morning and then hear you. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry, but I don't know you. And I certainly don't know your mama. But (laughs) you were a good boy and you came and Jesus talked to you. So... (laughs) But you know, our hearts... The labyrinth, the secret compartments of our heart, Jesus will read our mail. He does it by his spirit and he does it by his word and he does it through supernatural means. And I don't know what the issues of your heart are here tonight, but I know that the one that loves you, died on the cross, was buried and rose from the dead, wants to speak to your heart. Just as he spoke to a woman's heart, we know her as the woman at the well. Here was a woman that was just coming for water. She was just thirsty. It was a a morning and an evening ritual for people in the Middle East in the first century. You go to the well in the morning, you get your water. You come in the evening and you get your water. Water, that basic element to keep us alive, water and food. And so oftentimes we're limping through life and we have water and we have food and we have clothes on our back. But the deeper issues of our hearts still are unresolved. The fulfillment that you are longing for, the fulfillment that I am longing for, is still not satisfied until Jesus comes and ministers to the secrets of our heart. 
Let's stand together and read these first 13 verses, 14 verses of this passage and spend some time just looking at this incredible dialogue between the Lord Jesus and the Samaritan woman. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is, is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive your word. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would deal with the secrets of our hearts, those things that you want to speak to and the things that we most need you to speak to in our souls. Lord, we pray for a freedom in your spirit for you to do that work that you want to do. Lord, I also pray for those who are going to follow you in baptism, that you would give them the courage to publicly identify with your death, burial, and resurrection here this evening and this whole weekend, Lord. And we just commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to have six thoughts that flow from this large portion of Scripture. And the first is a divine appointment. As a matter of fact, when Jesus heard that the Pharisees had heard that his disciples were outgrowing John the Baptist's disciples and they were baptizing more people. Now, Jesus wasn't doing the baptizing. His disciples were. And so he said, you know, I got to get out of this region. But more than that, it says specifically in verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria. It was an imperative that he needed to go on a specific journey that we're going to look at, and he needs to arrive there because he has a divine appointment with this woman. He has a divine appointment with a Samaritan that Jews and Samaritans have nothing to do with each other, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the reality is, is the Lord has a divine appointment for humans. Whatever your name is, he's got your address, he's got your phone number, he knows every hair upon your head, and in the right time, at the right place, no matter what the circumstances, Jesus will present himself to you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, and that's what he does to this woman. She got up that day, an ordinary day, she knows nothing different, she's just going to go to the well, she's just going to go to work, she's going to go her normal way, and she has no idea that the Savior of the world is going to hang out her with her during lunchtime and ask for a drink of water. When you think about this as it begins to unfold, those divine appointments that God has for people are just so unique in how they end up at that place. Years ago, we, were, we had a church baptism like we are here today, but the Snake River runs right through Idaho Falls where I pastored for 25 years. So we would have summer baptisms there in the Snake River. And uh, I was a little late for the baptism. The church was gathered. There was hundreds of people there in the park. And we were having a potluck and then we were going to have a baptism in the river. And the pastors and elders were there. And, and we would have, you know, a couple of thousand people come to the park. And, and we would baptize 100 to 150 people. And on this particular baptism... Um, I came jetting into town, or into town, into the park, and I was a little late, and my wife says that I drive a bit aggressive. She says that my driving makes her nauseated. 
So I'm coming into the park and I'm sailing with my uh, heavy, heavy gas pedal. And she says, honey, 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 you know, it's, you know, you're stirring up all the dust and there's people, you know, she's trying to be the voice of reason. And so I calm down and I get right on this girl's bumper. She's going about five miles an hour in the park. And, and I'm just like, she's like going to take, where I'm late. And, uh, and so I get there, and I end up parking next to this girl, and this girl gets out of the rig. And she's, she's unusual in that she's tall. She was probably about, she's as tall as me at least, maybe an inch taller than me, 6'2", six 6'3", six tall girl. And she gets out, and her and I are like standing eye to eye, and she's dressed like a hippie out of the 70s. And um, <laughs> she's got all these crystals hanging from her mirror, and and I said, hi, I said, you look lost. And she said, well, I was coming to this new age meeting and I was gonna, you know, it was at like shelter number three and I'm looking for, it's a love and peace meeting. And I said, well, we're having a love and peace meeting. <laughs> and I said, and, and we have food plus love and peace. So you wanna come? And, and she, she looked around the park. You could go up on the hill and she looked, she looked for these, the love and peace new age meeting. She could find it. And so she came and joined us. She had food, and then we preached the gospel, and then I went down into the water, and from the, in the water, I'm chest deep in the Snake River, and I'm sharing the love of Jesus from the water to the hundreds of people that are on the shoreline. And I said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, come on down, open your heart, he'll wash you and forgive you of your sins, and you can identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. And the first person in the water was this woman. She had showed up at the park. I almost run her off the road <laughs> in Jesus' name. <laughs> and she came into the water, and I was, I was so stunned by it. You know, I'm always being surprised by God. And, and, I can't, and so when she got in the water, I said, really? I said, do you want to give your heart to Jesus? She said, yeah. I mean, she had tears running down her face. And, and so I baptized her, and then she left the park that day, and I never saw her again. I, and, and I thought, wow, that's one of those strange things. She never came to church. She just showed up at the park. About 10 years later, the very next day, she had movers coming to move out of town. She moved 50 miles to the south, and she got involved with a church the very next week and had been involved with that church for the last 10 years. And she said, some, one of, someone from our congregation was down there visiting, and they said, oh, you go to Pastor Rick's church, tell him and she, to tell me that story. Because I just thought, like, she disappeared. I mean, you get saved, you get baptized, and you have your own personal rapture. What takes place? You're just, <laughs> you know, it happened to the Ethiopian eunuch. So I'm like, I, I don't know. This is a crazy thing. But, you know, there's those divine appointments where Jesus, it, it's like it's scheduled in his heavenly day planner, but we don't even know it. We don't even know when he's going to meet us, when he's going to show up. And that's what happened at this well. It says in verse 5, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Now, Jacob's well, as you'll see a picture here, Jacob's well, this is one of the most documented, historic places in all of Israel. Jacob's well is in Nablus, modern day. And a uh, little map, just in case, you know, Jesus is walking with his disciples. If you want to walk, it's 44.6 miles. And uh, it's just a, you know, a nice little jaunt in an afternoon. It'll take you about 15 hours, 21 minutes to get there. But they would usually walk 15 to 20 miles a day. And it took him two or three days to arrive at that place at that time, at noon. And here is this woman. At that time that he meets her, he breaks their cultural taboo and protocol. By first of all, as a Jewish rabbi, talking to a woman one-on-one -on -one in public, which was really not permissible, especially since nobody else was around. And on top of that, she was a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans, there was a racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. Because when Assyria conquered uh, the ten tribes to the north, in 1 Kings 17, 24, it says, Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from uh, Sivar, Thame, 
and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. So they began to intermingle. They worshiped their false gods. And yes, they also worshiped Yahweh or Jehovah. And so they were looked at as spiritual half-breeds. You know, when I was in Israel in 1998, there was a big election coming up, and the big swing votes, not a swing state, but a swing group of people, was the Samaritans. Front page news, there's only 400 Samaritans at that time, and they were the key vote to push the direction that the political leaders needed them to go. So they still exist. And yet, in this moment, when Jesus asked for the drink of water, she says, what are you doing talking to me? To give you a feel for how they felt with their racial tension, and Jesus just busted down that barrier to love her. When Jesus sent his disciples, James and John, into a city of Samaria on his way to Jerusalem so they could find lodging for the night, the Samaritans, because they were Jews on their way to Jerusalem, they forbid them from staying at the Motel 6, so to speak. And so James and John came back to Jesus and said, can we call fire down from heaven and destroy them like Elijah? Jesus said, you know not what manner of spirit you are. The Son of Man didn't come to burn people up. He came to save them. So we're not frying any villages just because there's no vacancy sign. But that's the kind of tension that they had. So that's why this woman is startled. But the divine thirst conversation Just like you have a natural thirst and you have a natural hunger, the Bible constantly points to those two basic needs for survival in spiritual terms. And Jesus is trying to segue this thirst. Now, he was weary. Jesus was tired from walking. And if you've ever done a march or a hike for 20 miles, you know, over terrain, you know, if you haven't had enough water or enough food, he's feeling weary and weak and he needs some food. But he wants to bridge this gap. Because you know what? I'm looking out at you guys, and you guys look like you're well-fed, especially this afternoon. Look like you're all hydrated up. You have clothes on. Praise God. Thankful for that. Right? You got here somehow. You either Ubered or drove your car or caught a ride, whatever you did. In general, your needs are being met. But the segue from the basic needs that you have to your heart are vastly different. Those needs may not be going met in your own soul. Maybe even this last year has really put it to the test, what's going on in your heart and the struggles of your heart. The divine thirst conversation that Jesus brings up here says in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She is only thinking about water. She's stuck in the physical. And this is the true about our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and maybe even some of us here tonight. We're just stuck with physical needs dominating our thought life and never going deeper spiritually with what we really need in our soul to see love, joy, and peace grow in our hearts. So Jesus says in verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. You know, isn't it a crazy thing how much maintenance this body needs? I get up every morning, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I gotta shave this mug. I get up, you know, and your face is, the older you get, less collagen, it takes a half an hour for the wrinkles to fall out of your face. Uh, you get stinky, you got to get in the shower. It's like maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. Always wanting, you know, I'm cold, I'm hot. I just like pamper this body. I take such good care of it. And how people take care of their bodies and they neglect the spiritual realities of their life. They neglect the eternal. And Jesus says at the end of verse 14 that a fountain of, of water springing up into everlasting life will take place in the soul that comes into communion and fellowship with him. The work of the Holy Spirit will change your life. From the day of receiving Christ and being filled with the Spirit, the transformation that took place in my life, that took place in your life, that is taking place in our life, until ultimately we see him face to face. The older you get in the Lord, the more excited you are to go home and see Jesus face to face. Amen? And it's like... 
Even so, come today, Lord Jesus. There's nothing that I'm hanging on to that I think, oh, Jesus, don't come back until. You talk to a 20-year-old, they got lots of untels. Oh, pastor, I don't want Jesus to come back till I get married. You know, I want to experience that. Say, you know what? Marriage is awesome. I've been married for 35 years next month. Marriage is awesome, but I promise you, you want Jesus to come back before you get married. (laughs) Right? Because us married folks, we got a lot of growing to do. We don't realize how selfish we are until you throw us in the same household with the same address for 60 years. We got a lot of growing, and I love my wife like crazy. And then they'll tell me, well, we're, you know, Pastor, we just don't want Jesus to come back until we have children. I love kids, but I promise you, you want Jesus to come back before the kids show up. You do, you do, you do. And they're wonderful. They're a blessing. They're, they're out of this world. I mean, is there really anything that you would say, I want this to happen before? Now, we know this. There's some people we love and we want them to be saved before, right? And you know, God's got that same heart. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is not slack concerning his promise, but he's not designed that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So that desire you have in your heart, God's put it there. You want that brother, that sister, that mom, that dad, your children to walk with Jesus. And so you keep praying for that and trusting him for it. But this everlasting life is eternal. You see, the thing is, people think of everlasting life. They think, when I get to heaven, that's just a lot of time. No, everlasting or eternal life is a quality of life here and now in my experience and then forever. I get to taste. The Spirit is a down payment on what God is going to do for eternity in my life. And having said all of that, then the woman responds in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. You know, I'm just sick of this walk. Walking out here to the the well and getting the water and coming back, I I just want that. But Jesus is now prepping her for what he really wants to talk to her about. Because sometimes for people, you have to create the reality of their thirst, the deeper need. And that's where Jesus is going to take her now after he's he's built a bridge to her heart. And now he's going to ask some tough questions to have her have some introspection. You see, that whole concept of Jesus quenching the thirst of a man or a woman, their soul. In Revelation 21, 6, Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Are you thirsty for Jesus? Is your soul thirsty and longing for his fulfillment? The divine revelation now comes. This is where the secrets of the heart are revealed. But notice Jesus builds a bridge to her first. They're talking about something in common. They're getting a drink of water. They're around this well. Jesus has broke down the racial barriers. He's broke down the gender barriers. He's a man talking to a woman. He's a Jew talking to a Samaritan. And Jesus does all of this for his love for her. And then he says in verse 16, as we see the divine revelation, he says, go call your husband and come here. Go get your husband. Now, that seems like out of nowhere, doesn't it? Like, hey, we're talking about a glass of water? And he's like, well, go get your husband. Maybe he'll get me a glass of water. (laughs) I don't know. Go get your husband. But Jesus is stepping into something that is a secret area of pain in her life because he says, as she responds, very short answer, I have no husband. I'm not married. And Jesus now unpacks the secrets of her heart and says, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Hey, you're an honest girl. I ask you to go get your husband. You said you're not married. That's true. But you're shacked up with a guy now. You're living in sexual sin. you are got some guy. But you're, you're not married. You know, the sixth time is not a charm for you. And you've had five failed marriages. And can we... Can we all agree just, you know, the Bible says that God hates divorce because it covers one's garments with violence. And what that means is that divorce is such emotionally violent, it is so painful. It hurts. It hurts everybody. And maybe you're in the backwash of something really fresh, and this is just like too close to home, I'm sorry. Because it is painful. 
And I, I grew up in a home where my mom's married four, married four times and my dad's married three times and there's seven marriages between the two and I know what his and hers and theirs and step-parents and, you know, step-moms and step-dads and awkwardness and just all of the stuff and going here for Thanksgiving and there for Christmas and the tug-of-war and, and they're not paying child support and rah, 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 rah. Drama, 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 right? So what it is. And it hurts. And it's painful. And the bottom line is, when you went through five marriages and five divorces, your soul's pretty beat up. Your heart's pretty beat up. Man, it's like somebody put a chain around it and drug it down the highway for a while. I mean, it hurts. And then what happens when we get hurt? Then we start self-protecting, right? So then when people want to get close, we have this barrier up that says, hey, you're not getting too, don't, do, don't get too close. Because every time I let somebody into that secret place, what happens? I get hurt. Some of us are going through life just totally with self-protection. And what happens is, yeah, you might, <laughs> C.S. Lewis said it so well. He said, if you never want to be hurt, never love anyone, not even a cat. Right? Because that cat's going to get old and die, and that, that puppy's going to get old and die. And people leave us, and that's self-protection. But for them, for those who have went through so much stuff, and I just want you to know, having lived in that experience so much and seen it so up close and had the late nights with the kids being thrown in the car and driving off at 2 in the morning because of some huge ruckus. Just what a yo-yo. What a hard thing. And Jesus is talking to a woman that he was just asking for a drink of water. And then he's asking her, what really, what's the drink of water you need? What do you need? You see, when Jesus wants to talk to somebody's heart, he usually asks a specific question, not because he does not, did Jesus not know the answer to this? Okay. When God came in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned and said, Adam, where are you? Did God genuinely not know where Adam was? Can you play hide and seek with the God of the universe? I think not. Right? I think not. And does he not know this question, uh, the answer to this question? He most certainly does. But God asks us questions so that we'll respond. And when we respond, we open the door of our heart for an opportunity for him to minister. That's what he's doing. Right now, he's asking some of you. And it may not be that question, where's your husband? It may. Where's your wife? Well, she left five years ago. And I've been a bitter, resentful person ever since. So angry. Isn't that something, us in our Christianity, being a pastor for 32 years and all the counseling, I have met the most beautiful Christian people, men and women, and they are the most loving, generous, giving, serving people until somebody drops the ex's name in the conversation. It's like total Jekyll and Hydra. I hope there's no weapons close by. Something dangerous is going to happen right now. And the pain, the pain just, if you don't deal with it, if you don't give it to Jesus, what's that question Jesus would ask you tonight? For the rich young ruler, he did not ask him, where's your wife? For the rich young ruler, he said, go sell everything you have because that was his passion. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says that he went away sad because Jesus, as he ministered to, he bridged the gap and said, keep the commandments. He said, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. And then Jesus put his finger on it. He said, this is the issue. And for some of us here tonight, Jesus is going, this is the issue. It might have a name. It might have a face associated with it. It may be a circumstance. It may be a situation. But when Jesus is coming to offer living water, he offers the living water, but as you sit there with arms folded and you don't think you need it, he says, go get your husband. Go sell all you have. For Nicodemus, it was, you must be born again. 
He puts his finger on the issue because he reads our mail and he tells us these things. You see this divine revelation, and this is her response. I love this. This seems so understated in this radical moment. If you ask, go get your husband. You've never met this guy. And he says, no, you're not married now. You're shacked up with a guy and you've been married five times. You're, you're a truthful gal. Who told you that? Did my mama call? Look at Daniel 2.28. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Psalm 44.21. He knows the secrets of the heart. Psalm 90 verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says this is how prophecy works in the revealing of the secrets of hearts in a church service congregation style. If it If all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. You come into church, you're unsuspecting, and all of a sudden a story comes out, boom, it hits you right between the eyes, and you want to fall on your face and say, only God knows that about me. And God is in this place. And you fall on your face and you give glory to God. You see, when prophecy goes forward, when God reads your mail and you're impacted by that, this is what happens. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, he who prophesies speaks edification, you're gonna feel built up. Exhortation, you're gonna feel motivated and comforted. He's gonna comfort your heart. When you leave this service today, you're going to be built up, you're going to be motivated to live for God, and you're going to be comforted by God if you soften your heart. If you harden your heart and resist, then that's a whole different story. Having said this, Jesus now, as the woman wants to direct things in a different way, she now wants to get religious, right? She wanted to bicker about racial differences. She wanted to bicker, hey, you don't have a bucket. (laughs) You can't draw your own water. You don't even have a bucket. Right? She wants to talk about these things. Then he talks about her heart, and now she says, oh, okay, let's, let's be religious. Have you noticed that as soon as you go on record as a Christian, people just go from telling you the filthy joke to some, you know, oh, you know, my uncle's a missionary. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Were we talking about your uncle? All of a sudden, they just deflect things away from, you know, talking about their heart, and they get spiritual. That's what she does here. In verse 20, it says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. The Samaritans worshiped at Gerizim, Mount Gerizim. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what, uh, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth and the woman said to him I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ when he comes he will tell us all things and Jesus said to her I who speak to you am he he Jesus was rarely, 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 rarely this direct to anyone. And she said, I know Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I had this divine appointment. I am him, and I'm here to tell you about the issues of your heart. One-on-one, Jesus met this woman, and it says that he needed to go through Samaria to talk to her heart. Who was she to anybody? Is she a prominent woman in the area. She's just a woman that Jesus loves. We're just average people that Jesus loves. We're nothing special. He loves us, and he wants to meet us in this incredible way. But Jesus said, you know what, you Samaritans, you have this kind of twisted, mixed-up worship, but we know salvation comes from the Jews. Did you know this is a Jewish Bible? Everybody that wrote it, they're Jewish. Did you know your Savior's Jewish? You know, everything you have is Jewish, Right? And, and what does he do? He says, I think I'm going to save the Gentiles. That means everybody that's not Jewish. Yay for us, right? We actually get to be saved. But he says, the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you guys know what that means? The Father has a way that he wants to, us to approach him. We come in a spiritual way. We're praying spiritually. We're worshiping spiritually. And we're declaring the truth, the truth of God's word. Have you noticed that a lot of churches have a hard time finding a balance between spirit and truth? 
I don't know about you, but have you ever went to a church that's so off the chart in charismania or Pentecostalism, I mean just like extremism, that when you go in you're a little scared? (laughs) It's a weird thing to go to church and get scared, isn't it? I went to that church and I was totally freaked out. And they know what it is to worship in spirit. Now, those things don't trouble me because I've been exposed to a lot of things, but I'll be in the midst of a group like that, and I'll go, well, they're having a lot of fun. There's nothing decently in order about it, but it's sure fun. This is awesome, right? It's in spirit. But they don't do much Bible teaching. Have you ever discovered that? And then you go to a church that they have great Bible teaching, and it's like the worship and the spirit is like vanished. It's just as dry as It is terrible dry. And the thing is, is that you need to bring the balance of the work and the freshness of the spirit and the power of the word of God. Truth, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And when those two things happen, you can't say, I don't know, it's something about, you know, spiritually we worship and then we just hear the word of God and we just do it over and over and over again. And we're coming because the father wants us to approach him in this way, in a balanced way. You see, I came from a background, even though I was not raised in church, all my ancestry on both sides of my family are Baptists. Any good Baptists? Okay, not many. I'm all alone. Okay, it's all right. (laughs) Anyway, so all my family heritage is Baptist. And so uh, when people would ask me, I was really just a heathen dog. I mean, I had no point in reference to God or Jesus or anything. But I'd say, I'm Baptist. I wasn't Baptist any more than hound dogs Baptist. And I would go to my grandparents' church, and it was just, I mean, it was just as boring and dry, but they taught the Bible. And, and then my dad, my grandparents were Baptists, but then my dad, when I got older, he got saved, and he's Pentecostal. So I'd go to their church, and it was all about, you know, so I just say, I'm a happy blend. I'm a Baptocostal. <laughs> right? So... I love to worship the Lord, and I love to teach the Bible. I've discovered that when you bring these two things together, that Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman, and that everybody needs to know that the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit, spiritual life and vibrancy, and truth, the teaching of the word of God, man, it's a vibrant combination. Maybe you've heard the old adage. It's a good one to hang on to because it's so true. If you have all word and no spirit, you dry up. If you have all spirit and no word, you blow up. And if you have the spirit and the word, you grow up. Amen? So that's when Jesus is talking to this woman, this is what he is conveying to her. And he communicates to her that I am the Messiah. Now, for the sake of our time, because we're going to be turning towards communion and then a baptism, we have to wrap this up and see what happens in this woman's life. Well, in verse 28, dropping down into the divine interruption, the disciples come back. They're trying to feed Jesus. They're trying to, they they don't know anything spiritual is going on. And in that moment, in the divine interruption, something wonderful happens in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. He's had one meeting. They're like a 30-minute conversation, and she's already an evangelist. She runs back into town, tells everybody she can see, hey, you got to come see this guy because he just read my mail. He revealed all the secrets of my heart for my whole life. And if you want him to tell you the secrets of your heart, you come on out here. You come and see. And that is the best evangelism that you can possibly do. You go to work this week and you talk about Jesus or you talk about the service. You go, and they go, well, I've heard about that place. You just say, come and see. Come and see what Jesus is doing. Come and see. Come check it out. And that's what she invites these men to do. And she already is so impacted by the living waters of Jesus' words to change her life that she wants everybody that she knows to know Jesus. Isn't that something? Isn't that what happens to you? When you get saved, I want everybody to be saved. I want everybody to know Jesus and the love of Jesus. I want everybody to know the love, joy, and peace that I have. I want them to have. And it's available for everybody. And experiencing all of that, as we see the divine usefulness of her life, we skip ahead to this thought in verse 39. 
Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told, and this is, this is what they remembered and this is what they heard. He told me all that I ever did. Now did he go step by step and tell her literally her whole life? But when he said you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband, that traversed her whole childhood. I mean, because you see, Girls in that culture would be married at 14 years old. And whatever, if you have five marriages, I don't know how many years it took to have five marriages and to be, you know, shacked up with your sixth one. But that's a lot of history. And for her, that pretty much told the whole story. Do you know that divorce was so prevalent in Jesus' day that they did not talk about years like we do, 1967? They talked about years in their marriages because they had so many marriages. They'd say, oh, those are the years of Joe. Those are the years of Ed. Oh, no, 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 no that was Bill. That was the, that era with Bill. You know, that six and a half years, yeah. So when they talked about divorce, it was so prevalent because rabbis, the liberal rabbis, said literally you could divorce your wife for any uncleanness, which meant if you found somebody cuter, if she put too much salt on your eggs. I mean, they had a reason for everything. She's a terrible cook. She's an unclean wife. Go get another one, right? Just go through the list of them. So that revealed, and that touched her heart, and because she went and told them that, it says in verse 40, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. They had two days of Jesus ministering to the secrets of their hearts. In verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word, but look what they said. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that This is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And it all started with one woman. Sometimes it starts with one family. I watched it for 30 years. One person from a family wanders into church, somebody, and they get saved. And pretty soon, they're filling up the whole row. Sometimes they're they're filling up two seats, and people will say, oh, no, that's the pool family. They sit there. You can't sit there. They'll run you out. Right, it starts with one and pretty soon they're filling up a whole row or two rows. That's what happened to my brother and I. We gave our lives to Christ and then we rounded up all our bull riding buddies and we would come and we would sit on the very second row just left uh, from the stage of the, the pastor. And we didn't know it because we were all these redneck bull riding cowboys, but the whole church was snickering about us, you know, that they had heard we were bull riders and they'd say, oh, don't, don't sit on the second pew there. That's the bull riders pew. They'll beat you up. <laughs> they're all joking about us. But what happened is my brother and I got radically saved and we wanted all our friends to go to heaven with us. Who are you going to take to heaven with you? Who are you praying to go to heaven with you? This woman at a well, married five times, (laughs) living with a guy. The whole town got saved because Jesus talked to her about the secrets of her heart. And Jesus wants to minister to you about the secrets of your heart and the transformation and the freedom that comes. Her life was transformed. You know, we all come from a place of brokenness. I don't know what your story is, but we all come from brokenness. And whoever has a broken heart, Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. We're gonna pray now and we're gonna have communion together and then we're gonna turn our hearts towards baptism. You have a cup, hopefully, on your seat. Pull off that top label and you'll have the bread. The next seal, you'll have the cup. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful tonight to celebrate with food. We're so thankful to celebrate that we've been set free from this litigation from the county. We're so thankful that you, your body was broken for us. Thank you, Jesus for allowing your body to be nailed to the cross for us. Let's take the bread together. And Lord Jesus, as I hold the cup, your blood was shed for us as they drove those spikes in your hands and your feet and the blood drained from your body. They pierced your heart with that sword, that spear. Your blood washed us clean. Now we are standing before you totally righteous in your sight because of your death 
and you shedding your blood because there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the cup together. Lord, we turn now. to the secrets of the hearts. Lord, you know the men and women in this room. You know the heartache. You know the pain of failed relationships, the bondage of sin, the sorrow of deep resentment. Lord Jesus, you're here to touch our hearts and to read our mail tonight. Lord, we just want to fall on our face and say, Jesus, you're Lord. You have truly, the Savior of the world, told me all that I've ever done. You know the secrets of my heart. Lord, I want to open my heart to you. And I pray that your spirit would touch the hearts of those who are here maybe some for the first time to open their heart that they might be saved. That we've come to gather at the well of living waters, Jesus. And we declare we're thirsty and we need living waters. If you're here and you just want to open your heart, maybe there's some things that you just need to hand to the Lord. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus tonight and even participate in the baptism to follow him. I just want to invite you right now, just open your heart by faith and pray with me. The Lord knows every detail. Let's just bring our lives before him and ask and invite him to come in and bring his living waters. Lord Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for touching my heart tonight. I ask that you'd forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my hardness of heart. Forgive me of resisting you. Forgive me of holding on to bitterness, anger, and resentment. Lord, it's been eating me up. Lord, I pray that you just wash me and cleanse me with your precious blood tonight. That you would fill me with your spirit. And that you would bring your living waters to my soul. Refresh me, Lord. Heal me. Strengthen me. that you might live your life, your resurrection life through me, Lord. I'm your servant, Lord. Thank you for meeting me here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna turn our hearts now for baptism, those who are gonna get baptized. And maybe you didn't even bring a change of clothes. You didn't know what was going to happen tonight. I just want you to know that, hey, you can just take off your shoes and hand your wallet to whoever's with you or hand it to me. I'll take everybody to dinner. And uh, you can just come up and, and you're going to follow the Lord. Tonight we identified or remembered in baptism Jesus' blood that was shed for us and his body that was broken for us. And now we're going to identify those who get baptized when they go into the water. It's a picture of them being buried with Christ and then come up out of the water in resurrection. It says, in the newness of life, in the power of the Spirit. And the old sin is dead and buried. It's this picture that that sin is now dead and buried. It's such a great picture. And so if you're going to Maybe there are a handful of people that plan on getting baptized. You're going to come over here and get on the the ramp, and the worship team's going to lead us in song. And I just want you to know you're invited. Maybe you were baptized when you were a baby, but you didn't even remember that or know about that, and you realize, hey, I just want to, the Bible says, repent and be baptized. And so as we're just worshiping, I'm going to step back here and put on a T-shirt. The worship team's going to lead us. Just make your way over here to this ramp. 
And um, if your family's here and you're thinking, hey, I, you know, I'm not really dressed for it. We have three services tomorrow, baptism every service. But I want you to know the water here now tonight's clean by the fourth service. It, it filled with ickiness. It's sin and cooties and pocket lint floating around in there. And so tonight, if you want some clean water, man, this is strike while the water's fresh. Especially you germaphobes. So let's worship the king. You guys are just going to sit here and you're going to celebrate. The Bible says that when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice in heaven over one person. One person. So come on over. You can get in line. And uh, we're just going to have a great time as we celebrate with those who are committing their lives to the Lord Jesus here tonight. Let's worship him. Sing 
Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. You glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Oh, your presence, your presence, God. can compare your all living hope cause your presence God oh I've tasted I've tasted and seen that the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone King of kings, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. I'm in it. I'm not even listening. Hey, we're going to stand, and Micah's going to sing that chorus one more time. And uh, I just want to give you one more call. You know, sometimes we're just holding back. We're concerned with what somebody's going to think. We're concerned about what we're going to look like. Um, I just want to remind you, Jesus hung naked on a cross to make this possible for you, to have eternal life. You see, I wear a wedding ring. I don't wear rings. I don't, I'm not much of a jewelry guy. I wear a wedding ring. And it says that I'm committed to some, someone. And that's what it declares. That's what baptism is. It's like putting on your wedding ring and saying, I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm the bride of Christ. So we're going to worship and uh, this other course. And if you want to come up, you have the opportunity to do so. Jesus, we just thank you, Lord. Um, thank you for baptisms, God. We, we stand before you just humbled, Lord, knowing that you're, you're in control. And Father, I pray that if there is one more person out there that um, wants to get baptized, is maybe scared, Lord, would you move on their hearts, Lord? God, we, we trust you. We praise you now. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.